We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning for our text, and so I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. Um, and as we are getting our thoughts together, I was listening to that song that, that Katie and Perry were singing right then, um, that idea of do not fear. Um, this morning, what we're looking at is the idea of Christ being the light. And the, the candle, and Steve read this, this, uh, those verses out of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. One of the things that we, when we think about the idea of light, is what does light dispel? Darkness, right? Um, and I don't know how many of you in here ever wrestled with something like a, a fear of, of the darkness, um, that's something I, I haven't had that experience with, uh, but I've been in some very dark places has, where there's no light. Um, ha, has anybody experienced something like that? Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, I think it was my senior year, um, has anybody been to the, the uh, what is it, the underground sea in Tennessee? You have, Maya, over there in East Tennessee? Yeah. Um, it was really cool. If you've, if you've ever been there, what they actually, we got to do, um, they, they, they allowed us to do this as a college group. We got to spend the night in the cave, and it was really, really cool. Um, has anybody ever spent the night in a cave? Okay, some of you have. What is that like? It's crazy, isn't it? Because when you, it's cold, that's, that's true. Is, is that what you said? Yeah, it is cold. I can't hear you over the air conditioning. Oh, yeah, it is cold, but it's also especially dark, right? They, because in, in the cave, especially in that Lost Sea um, cave, when they, they let us go to bed, it was all lights totally gone. And so when you took off your flashlights, and that was, this was, I'm old, this was before cell phones, um, so you didn't have any kind of little flashlight there. It was completely dark. What, when you get into complete darkness, how do you respond? I mean, even walking around your house, if you don't have enough lights on in the house, what do you do? Yeah, Rob is like, you're feeling for things. You're maybe walking a little bit more slowly to make sure you don't uh, hit that object that may cause you to stub your toe and then trip over another half dozen things because you've lost your balance, right? There, there's something, all that to say, there's something about darkness that makes us uncomfortable, right? That, that we feel, in, in a way, exposed. Even though nobody can see us, we feel exposed to the elements because we can't see them and, and control them. And I think when we think about the candle, the five candles specifically that we have lit over the course of Advent, and especially when we think about Christ being the, the Christ candle and the, the highest point that Steve pointed out earlier this morning, and, and this idea that Jesus said he is the light of the world. We, we, need, we need to understand that Jesus is the one who dispels that darkness, that he enables us to, to confront and overcome that darkness, not just in the physical sense, but more importantly, in the spiritual sense. Because the, the darkness of humanity is tremendous. And, and what we have experienced because of sin 
in, in our spiritual lives needs to be overcome, and it's only overcome because of Christ and by Christ. Now, it's interesting, and I, as I was reflecting on this, I, was, I, I did some research and started thinking about the number of times that, that God worked in and through darkness in, according to accounts in Scripture. So I want to read uh, or, or give you a couple of these and, and just think about how God works in, in the midst of the darkness, okay? So first of all, think about Joseph. Where was Joseph in a dark place in, in the book of Genesis? Say it loud. I can't hear. Okay. Billy, can you do me a favor? Can you turn off the, the uh, air conditioning unit so I can hear? We're going to have a little fun and feedback. I can't hear y'all. It may be the head stuff that's going on. It may be y'all are quiet, but that thing's not helping. Thanks. Billy I, or Michael, whoever got that, I appreciate y'all. So say it really loud again for me. He was in a well. That would have been dark. Oh, he was in a jail. Kathy, you said well, didn't you? Yes, Kathy said well. You're Preston? Did I get it right or royal? Royal. Okay. Jail. Right. He was in the darkness of prison. And in the midst of those places, especially in prison, prison, Joseph was called out of the darkness of that place to serve who? The Pharaoh, right? So, so God worked in an amazing way in Joseph's life. What about uh, Gideon? Does anybody remember what time of the day it was when Gideon was approached by the Lord? It was in the darkness of night. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting? That, that the Lord approached Gideon in midnight and gave him this promise that he was going to be a leader and he was going to be used by God. What about Jonah? Yeah, it's not like VeggieTales where there's some kind of light in there, Okay. I know that's all make-believing story stuff, but Jonah, can you imagine the darkness of the belly of a fish? I mean, there's no light that's going to penetrate that. Yet in the middle of Jonah's darkness, he repents and cries out for forgiveness, and the Lord meets him there in the middle of darkness. Okay, what about um, Daniel? This, this one was interesting to me as I thought through this. In the lion's den... And I thought, oh, it's not really a dark place. But here's what's interesting about the lion's den. They actually, the scriptures tell us in Daniel that they actually put a stone over the entrance of the den. So, so it's not like it's this gated Roman thing, you know, where they would have had a coliseum and used the, the lions in, in a, a uh, like a, what we, a cage. That den was likely a dark den of lions where they rolled the stone and it was dark. And then what happened in the midst of the, the lion's den for Jonah? I'm not for Jonah, for Daniel. Yeah, the Lord shut the mouths of the lions and presented to uh, Nebuchadnezzar a testimony that, that he was convinced that Daniel's God was the true God and the living God. Amazing, right? What about uh, Lazarus? He was in the tomb, wrapped in, in the shrouds, the, the, the uh, grave garments, and, and called out of the darkness. And obviously, with his death, there's a darkness there. What about Paul? Where did Paul exist in blindness? Or where was, or I said it, darkness. Yeah. Paul was blind. And in his blindness, right, there's a darkness to that. And in, in that dark moment, who appeared to him? 
the Lord did, right? Actually blinded him by appearing. And then it's this whole journey that Paul goes on to as he's in the darkness trying to understand what God's doing. Um, so it, it's interesting through all of that that we can easily see that God is a God who works in darkness to bring about some kind of light to us. Now, I want to read this statement, and if you take notes, this is a statement I would highly encourage you writing down, okay? And it's not my own, so that'll help you. It's actually uh, a statement by Charles Spurgeon, okay? I've I've been reading his uh, sermons lately, and and this is just a great statement. Here's what he says about darkness. He, He says, it is noteworthy that the clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of history. Let me, let me say that again. It is noteworthy that the clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of history. I think, and bring this to our current culture and context just a bit, I think that we would all agree that 2020 based on some things, has been a dark period in history. I think we're going to look back and we're going to go, there were some amazingly dark things that happened, not just about the pandemic. There's, there's other things that have occurred that have shown us the darkness of where we are as humanity. But in this, this is the, to me the greatest encouragement is if God has worked through darkness historically, and we're in a dark period right now, what's the promise? That the light of Christ will come. And folks, if, if we can latch on to that, this time of year especially, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, and we think about the advent, the second coming, expectantly, we ought to recognize that, that we possess hope. And as we, as simple as it is, as we light candles, it's a, a reminder to us that Christ dispels the darkness, and we do not have to be people that dwell in darkness without hope. If we are followers of Christ, if we trust Him as our Savior, we own the greatest hope because He owns us. And, and that is good news. That is who and why we celebrate Jesus at Christmas. Because of that hope. Now let's look at our text. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to begin, okay? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people... Who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, what we see here is this incredible picture that, that Isaiah is given through the Lord as he prophesies that there is going to be darkness dispelled and that, that this great light has come. And though that is, a, I think, a metaphor, and I think it's a metaphor that Steve identified that the, the gospel writer John remembers, and that's why he uh, says in John 1, 1 through 5 that Jesus is the light of the world. And, and, and in this, Isaiah is, is saying this darkness is dispelled, but it's not just about the light as a symbol, because who does the light point to in verses 6 and 7? Specifically, this child that is born and this son that is given. So, uh, you know, Perry's been doing this song this Christmas season, and Perry, I, I really appreciate it. I don't know if you've caught this, uh, but, but it, the song is based on John three sixteen. And we sang it this morning. And, and this, the point of this, and I want us to, I know we're going to be familiar with it, but I want to read John 3.16 to make sure that we understand a key concept as it relates to Isaiah 9.6. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, did you notice this in Isaiah 9, verse 6? It says, for to us a child is born. If, if we had just had that text about a child being born, would, would that have made any kind of unique statement? I don't think it would have, right? Because the truth is every child is born, right? And... We, it's not a, it's a very general, broad statement. But when Isaiah prophesies with the next line, what, what clarifies that is this idea of the Son being given. That means that, it's, that there's already a presence of the Son. Does that make sense? What, what I'm getting at? That, that there is this eternal relationship that's established by God with the Son that is going to be given. He exists beforehand, and it's a simple truth, but we understand that both in Isaiah and we see it in John 3 as well, that God gave us His Son. Now, now this time of the year, especially boys and girls, I want you to listen to this because we're going to actually give you some things this morning, okay, before you leave today. But when we, when we uh, deal with presents, what do we do? Someone gives us a present, and we receive the present, right? So, so here's what the, the idea is. When God the Father gave us His Son, what is our responsibility in that truth? What, what do we do in response to that? We receive the gift, right? And, and, and we do that by grace through faith. Now, I, I want to try to picture this for just a moment. You guys remember like watching a movie where someone gets so exhausted, maybe, maybe they're dehydrated out in the desert or something, and, and somebody finds them, and, and what does that caregiver do to that person that, that is, is basically an invalid? They're unable to, to help themselves. They save them. How do they do it? 
if they've been out in the desert and they're parched and, and dehydrated. They, they give them water, right? So they'll, they'll take the canteen or they'll take the, the cup. And, and what is that? They, they just do what? They put it to the lips. And what does that person do? They drink. They receive it, don't they? That, that's the idea, is that when we are presented with the gift of Jesus' Son, it's not us taking it. It's no effort on our own. We simply receive it and taste it and drink, and we're restored because of our reception of Christ, because we taste and see that He is good, that, that He is the one who redeems us and restores what was lost in the fall. Isn't that a simple but great picture of what it means to drink of Christ and to think through his goodness to us. And that's what I think we get in this picture of this son who is given. It's simply us responding and drinking in the truth of the gospel. Now, I want to point something out to you because I think that this is as important. Because what we're talking about is, again, this metaphor of darkness. And I want you to think through darkness with me for just another moment. And I want to do this by looking at the context of Isaiah. So let's look back at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Because I think in this prophecy, we get this great picture of what the, the darkness really was for these people, and then the, the promise of, of new hope in Christ. So we're going to tie these ideas together. So Isaiah 8, verses 21 and 22, it says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Do, do, do you understand the context of what was, what was going on? These, these folks were experiencing some of the, the most anguish they could through hunger and distress and darkness. And yes, they were wrong spiritually because they were blaming God. But ultimately, they were in such distress that, that they were wondering, how can this be overcome? And folks, I think, again, we struggle with some of those things, not to that degree, but in this Christ has still overcome the darkness, and he is the hope, the hope that we need, and he is the light of all men. So, uh, Perry read the scripture this morning from Isaiah seven fourteen that all of this scripture in 9 is also based on, that this one who would come of the virgin, uh, she would conceive and bear a son, and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us that the, the light has come into our world and dispelled the darkness. And that's the context for Isaiah 9. So it's, it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. So Matthew has uh, tied all those things together. And Luke in the, the Gospels tied all these things together. And we see that those promises are fulfilled. Now, I want to um, challenge you guys with one thought this morning. And it's really, really simple. If Christ is the one who has come, he's been given to us, and we are to recognize that he is the, the light that overcomes the darkness, how are we to respond? I think it's two ways. First is with faith, that we receive him. And then second is this, that we would focus on his lordship and that we would surrender 
to that lordship on an ongoing basis. So, so if you want to understand that a little more fully, let's look at Isaiah again. It's interesting to me, in verse, starting in verse 6, there's five places in this that talk about or where Isaiah references a, a rulership or a sovereignty aspect, a governing concept. So look at this. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince is another one. Because a prince is a ruler, right? Prince of peace. And then we read again in verse 7. Of the increase of his government, there's a third time, and of peace there will be no uh, end. And on the throne of David, that throne of David speaks to rulership. There's a fourth. And over his kingdom, fifth, to establish it and hold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, so here's my point. If this is who Jesus is, going to, to, is prophesied to be, and he is going to be the one who governs and rules, with this kind of gracious authority, providing peace, giving us a government that is different, who ought we to be devoted to? This kind of king. And so it's not just in, in, in one sense, understand what I'm saying, it's not just enough to, to respond in faith. Though that's essential. That faith needs to be borne out in a response to his lordship, to his sovereignty, to his princely rule to the kingdom values that he's established. And as he dispels the darkness of this government system that we live in now, this is not our home. And we've talked about that again and again. We are citizens of a di different kingdom. We are members of a different family. And we are a royal priesthood under Christ's kingship. Let us live devoted lives to him. So, so this Christmas, how do you flesh that out? How, how will you... Focus in on a devoted life to Jesus. How will your thoughts stay upon him? How, how will he be the one that dispels all the anxieties and the concerns when government is in chaos, when anxieties are high, when we, we are watching everything in our current culture be in a fray. It doesn't matter, does it? Because we serve Jesus. Because He is our Savior. He is bringing light to the darkness. And He is our hope. Folks, I, I hope that this Christmas we can be people that will honor Jesus Christ well. And I want to read this statement again to you because it is noteworthy that the clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of history. Let us not worry about darkness. Let us recognize that we have the promise of Christ and, and the hope that he gives us. And let us serve him well. That's a great focus for our Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the truth of Scripture, for how you have so perfectly taught us through the specific revelation of Jesus Christ about grace and mercy and hope. Lord, that we can have our sin overcome. It's not just about the culture around us, but Lord, it is ultimately about the hope that is restored 
to us because of our relationship being renewed, that we don't have to walk in the darkness of sin. And Lord, I think all of these things are, are certainly point and are metaphors for that greatest hope. So Father, I, I trust that today, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice hearing especially the scriptures read that doesn't know you, today would be the day of their salvation, that they would be convinced and convicted and, and that they would find a, a measure of hope and they would respond by receiving the gospel message through faith. And Lord, for us that do know you already, I pray that we would find a greater zeal and commitment to, to serve you with the devotion of our lives. Lord, it just wouldn't be lip service, it wouldn't be fleeting thoughts, but Lord, our lives would be committed to you as vessels of ongoing worship. So Father, uh, this, this Christmas season, let us be continually reminded of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.